The Interchange is brought to you by SunGrow. SunGrow is the leading pure play solar inverter supplier with a range of solutions for solar and storage applications. SunGrow is powering the largest solar project in Washington State, as well as in Rhode Island and Wyoming. With more than two gigawatts of inverters shipped to the Americas, find out how SunGrow is investing in the U.S. at www.sungrowpower.com. The Interchange is also brought to you by Wonder Capital, the leading solar investment platform. Wonder gets your commercial solar projects done fast. And if you're an investor, Wonder gets your money to projects all around the country and helps you earn up to 7.5% annually. If you want your project financed or you want to invest in one, you can sign up at wondercapital.com GTM. That's Wonder with a U, wondercapital.com GTM. for most resilient energy technology. Please welcome to the stage your hosts of the Energy Storage Academy Awards, Stephen Lacey and Julian Spector. Resiliency. It's about being tough. It's about being flexible. But it's much more than that. Resiliency is a lifestyle. It's a state of mind. It's the perfect word that politicians can hijack for political purposes. And so with that in mind, on behalf of the GTM Academy, we present to you this year's award for the most resilient energy technology. What's it going to be? It's coal. Oh, my God. It's coal. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll read the card here. quite a uh, surprise. Coal leads the global electricity mix and holds the title of most combusted fuel source in the history of the grid. It's At true. least for the U.S. market, though, this is a bit of an upset. Uh, natural gas and renewables are crushing it at the capacity additions box office. Y you know, you really don't hear much from the coal sector besides retirements, but clearly the Academy saw something here. Wait, that wait. It I'm sorry. There's been a mistake. It's not coal. You mixed up the envelopes. Dude, did what? you mix up the envelopes? I just read what it said. It said coal. Okay, we'll open uh, up the okay. new one. Jeez. Uh, here's this new one. Oh. Oh, it says the winner is... Digital decentralized energy. That's you. This is not a joke. You're all the oh winners. What what happened? How I don't know. Something got mixed up. I guess. Okay. Yeah. This is worse than the Moonlight La La Land mix-up. I know. Well, we gotta right. figure out something to like distract okay, everybody. Okay, rack your brain. Rack your brain. Okay, I got it. I got okay. it. Okay, what? Live from San Francisco, this is the Interchange Podcast, weekly conversations on the global energy transformation. I'm Stephen Lacey. and I'm Julian Spector. And this week we are dissecting the year's best storage applications, markets, and technologies, Academy Awards style. We are going to be walking through the best applications for storage throughout the year. So, Julian, you've been hard at work with the Academy. Oh, it's been a tough year for this work because uh, there's a lot more happening in this sector than ever before. So it uh, makes my life uh, a, a little bit uh, busier. But we've, uh, we've selected uh, some of the most interesting, most uh, provocative, uh, you know, influential projects and, and developments and uh, highlighted them with our, our nominations. Uh, you might not agree with all of them, but that's okay. We're, we're the academy. We don't have to be fair. Uh, but if you uh, have other ideas, you know, take to Twitter and vent your rage. Okay, so over the last few months... We have been thinking through the categories, and the Academy has chosen winners in the following categories. Best original policy and regulatory development. Best application for storage in a hybrid or supporting role. Best foreign storage market. Best new artist. Best financial contribution. And best storage project in a leading role. So shall we go through the categories? Let's do it. Okay. 
Nominees for best storage in a hybrid or supporting role. Uh, we have wind plus storage, residential solar plus storage, utility scale solar plus storage, and hydro plus batteries. All right, so what's the winner? The winner here is uh, for 2018, residential solar plus storage. Why did you choose residential solar plus storage? It's so small. Okay, it is small, but it's so much bigger than it was last year. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Which doesn't say much. It doesn't say much. It, it clearly wins for most improved. Uh, it, it, for a while, you know, all the, all the chatter, all the talk was about the, the Tesla Powerwall and how great it'll be to have a battery in your own home. And then we were looking at the data and, and there was no actual deployment to, uh, you know, match that. So um, this year, you know, it went from being less than a, uh, you know, a, a few hundred uh, installed per quarter to, to this year, thousands. And uh, I, there were six consecutive quarters where residential storage set a, uh, a deployment record. Uh, this last quarter, it, you know, wasn't quite as big, but, you know, that's a, that's a crazy trend. And uh, we have Sunrun, uh, you know, the uh, top currently uh, residential solar installer has made big investments in, in storage. They say they're expecting to deploy 5,000 home batteries by the end of this year. Um, you know, obviously a lot of Tesla Powerwalls out there and um, other other players going into new markets. We have, uh, you know, batteries being sold in Florida and Puerto Rico and Texas even, uh, the New England states, uh, anywhere where there's a lot of weather, um, blackouts, uh, the, the resilience that people used to talk a, a lot about but not really want to pay for, people are actually paying for it now. Uh, so, you know, utility scale solar plus storage, it's also a big deal, but uh, it just, it didn't leap ahead uh, the way that the, the home batteries did. I don't know, man. I mean, utility scale solar plus storage, there's there are more bids happening than actual projects, but as you look at some of the bids, um, you know, in RFPs in states around the country, half or more of the bids coming in are attached to storage, and you regularly see a solar-only bid and a solar plus storage bid, and the prices are astonishingly low. I'm very surprised that utility-scale solar plus storage didn't, didn't win out here. I, I think once we get to 2020, 2021, when a lot of those projects actually get built, we might have a different outcome, but uh, I was just going off of the, the you know, boots in the ground uh, this, this year in 2018. Okay, okay. All right, now we've got nominees for best foreign storage market. This is not just a US game anymore. Uh, so nominees include the United Kingdom, Germany, South Korea, China, and Australia. And where did the Academy land? The winner for 2018 is South Korea. Given that South Korea passed the United States, not a surprising pick. Yeah, this one, I mean, this was one of the ones we could make on a pure quantitative basis. They just deployed more batteries than anybody else this year, uh, over, over a gigawatt, in fact. And uh, that was really, I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, there were a lot of government policies to support that, um, including a, a, you know, renewable energy credit that's got a five times multiplier if you, if you put batteries with it. Uh, and obviously, some of the, you know, most, uh, uh, accomplished battery manufacturers are in the country there, uh, LG Chem and Samsung SDI. Um, so, you know, they've, they've got a homegrown uh, industry to supply all those projects. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really quite, a, quite an upset. I mean, the U.S. Has, has been the clear leader in storage deployments up until this year. But not an upset for long. The U.S. will come back into first place next year. That, that does seem to be um, what will happen based on the, the current projections. Um, so there's always the question of if you, if you have 
too much support from from government uh, policies and subsidies to to get the the industry up and running. How sustainable is that really? Um, and will will that keep employing people uh, for for years, you know, into the future? Australia is another choice that I would have thought that the academy might have made. Uh, there's, you know, some of the biggest battery projects. There's a lot of network operators that are facing uh, rising costs, angry consumers, and more utility-scale and residential batteries. So why did Australia not make the list over South Korea? Australia is, uh, there's a lot of activity there. Um, they've had a very strong residential market because uh, initial feed-in tariffs for solar were very, very high, and those are now starting to, to come down. So you have expensive uh, grid power, and all of a sudden you're not getting paid back uh, at very nice rates for, for the solar you export. So people are, are buying batteries in you know, large, large numbers there for their homes. Um, obviously, the, the grid scale uh, world record holder, uh, the Tesla, Tesla battery is in Australia. Um, but for the, for the large scale um, projects, there, there hasn't been a, uh, a steady sort of market-based uh, pattern of deployment without some sort of government um, support. Uh, so I'm, I'm waiting to see that where it, um, you know, it's, it's great to have some government uh, participation to, to help the business models get off the ground. But, you know, once we start seeing repeat projects going onto the wires there that uh, can make money on their own, I think then it'll be a, a more compelling pick for this. Okay. What about Germany? Uh, we see very high storage attachment rates on the residential side, um, perhaps a more sustainable market than in South Korea. And now Germany is throwing a lot of money into battery manufacturing as well in an attempt to compete with Asian countries. Um, wh where does Germany stand in this list? Yeah, so Germany has uh, the it leads the world in in residential storage. Actually, it's got hundreds of, of megawatts there, which is uh, outstanding compared to, to everybody else. Um, on the on the grid scale side, though, it's uh, there's there's much less uh, strength, and um, part of that is the way the the contracts that the batteries can get are actually extremely short term, um, and so you can't really bank on uh, long-term contracted revenues, which makes it hard to finance projects if you're not uh, backed by a, a massive balance sheet of, uh, say, a European utility company. Um, so it, it's also, their grid is interesting because though they've spent a lot of money to deploy renewables, um, they also have really kept coal power as a, a central part of the, the grid mix. So they have dispatchable power from that. They have plenty of grid interconnections to their neighbors in Europe. So uh, they don't have to deal with the the sort of boom and bust in, in solar uh, production during the day. Uh, they can export, they can import, they can use their coal to make up the difference. Uh, so that need for, for batteries that you might see in, say, the UK or Hawaii uh, has not materialized for Germany. Coming up, we give the award for best new entrant in storage, plus best storage project in a market-leading role. Who will take the top slot? First, though, the interchange is brought to you by SunGrow. With more than 68 gigawatts of inverters deployed across the globe, SunGrow is now growing rapidly here in the U.S. SunGrow is part of Washington State's largest solar facility that was just completed in November. The project is a 28-megawatt array that is 25 times larger than the next biggest solar array in the state. 
It isn't just unique for its size. As part of Avista Utilities' Solar Select program, the power is going to go to more than 60 CNI customers. And beyond the off-takers, it's also unique that the landowner said he'd use most of the proceeds to go toward a local college and trade school fund for kids in the town. SunGrow is committed to these types of projects. It's supporting novel applications for PV across the U.S. With proven bankability, a dedicated 24-7 service center, and unique solutions across central and string inverters, Find out what else SunGrow is working on at www.sungrowpower.com. And find out what Wonder Capital can do for you. Wonder Capital can help you, the commercial solar developer, secure financing for your project. And if you're adding storage, Wonder can help there too. To find out how Wonder Capital can help you finance your next commercial solar project with storage attached, head on over to wondercapital.com financing. And now let's get back to the Energy Storage Academy Awards. Over to the next category. Nominees for Best Original Policy or Regulatory Development. Let's go through the nominees. Right. So we have Massachusetts Clean Peak Standard, SB100, which is California's zero carbon electricity law, FERC Order 841, and the New Jersey Storage Target. Where is the winner? I picked SB100. California. California. I'm a little biased, Shocker. perhaps, because I, I live here, and uh, it's, the, it's the greatest place on earth. But uh, what's interesting about this bill, um, it, it was, in some cases, erroneously reported as 100% renewable uh, law. It's, it's actually not. It's 100% zero carbon electricity by 2045. Um, what that does is legally decarbonize the grid of, um, you know, the this incredibly uh, large economy, the fifth largest GDP in the world, if you stack it up against other countries. And um, there's an incredible amount of geographic diversity, population diversity. Uh, you know, you got mountains and deserts and coastal areas. And if you can figure out how to make a zero carbon grid here, uh, there's no reason that shouldn't extrapolate to many, many other places. Um, and, you know, granted, it's not explicitly a storage uh, policy, like it's, it's a zero carbon electricity, but what that means is we'll need a lot of storage to uh, take the abundant solar and, and wind power and make that available in the peak hours when we currently rely on gas plants. Okay. Why is FERC Order 841 not the winner here? Yeah. I mean, FERC Order 841, so that's the, the order that will, um, it, it, it asks the ISOs and RTOs to create uh, plans to let storage compete in the wholesale markets based on its unique attributes, uh, ability to charge and discharge and all that. Um, the filings from those uh, ISOs and RTOs came back uh, just in this past week. Um, so it's going to be a huge deal at some point. Um, the, the wholesale markets have been this, this tough nut to crack for the storage industry, and they, and they promise uh, all sorts of new revenue streams that can go into making a, a project viable. Um, but the, the implementation has, has not happened yet. A, a lot of these plans are looking at end of 2019. So I think this might be a, a strong uh, pick for, for next year's best original policy or regulatory development, but uh, it, it hasn't started moving uh, moving markets just yet, in That's my view. That's not how this is supposed to work. I thought in the Academy Awards, the late season movies are the ones that always do well. Uh, not enough people got to see this one yet. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't actually read them yet. So. Well, if that's your argument for not picking 841, then SB100 is just as immature. I mean, there's, you know, you're talking about 
a, a need for implementation next year and then over the course of decades. 841 is a more immediate policy. Well, that's true, but uh, there are already um, projects being put into place in California based on the, the need for long-term decarbonization and, and getting rid of uh, reliance on gas, uh, and we'll get to that a little more later, but uh, I, I would argue it's, it has actually materially impacted um, you know, regulatory decisions on, on projects already. So what's going on over there in New Jersey and Massachusetts? Yeah, so this is an interesting um, series of, you get different evolutionary stages of uh, storage policy here. So New, New Jersey passed a, a large storage target here, 3,000 megawatts, and uh, that, that was originally like the gold standard for state-level storage policy. You, you pick a number, you say, we have to deploy this much, uh, and then industry can go out and do it, and that's how you, you jumpstart the market there. Um, Massachusetts took that concept and, and pushed it a little bit further with their Clean Peak standard. And what, what that does is update the renewable portfolio standard so that instead of just you need a certain amount of clean energy or renewable energy in the total year, um, it, it sets a time-specific requirement that a certain percentage of peak hours come from clean sources. Um, and that's a, it, it's really quite a sensible development because you know you can have a situation where renewable portfolio standards drive a build out of wind and solar and then you also need to buy all these new gas plants to to meet the the few peak hours uh, where those those renewable sources are not producing and that doesn't ultimately serve the the goals of a, a cleaner and uh, less fossil fuel dependent grid, um, not to mention the expense involved. So what the uh, Clean Peak Standard does, signed into law in Massachusetts, um, it will require uh, a growing percentage of peak hours every year to, to come from clean sources, which means you got to build some storage, uh, assuming that the you know, solar is not going to be shining when, the, when those peak hours hit necessarily. Um, so that will be very exciting to see. It, it's based on an idea that came out of Arizona, actually, but still under debate in, uh, in Arizona. And um, it's just a more nuanced way of, of weaving storage into, into the market and into the, the real day-to-day -day operations of the grid. So you went for raw ambition here. If this were a feature film, it would probably be the most expensive film of the year. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> Best new artist. All right. Who are these companies? Okay, so we have Nant Energy, Form Energy, Energy Vault, and GE Energy Storage. Who, uh, who wins out of all these companies? Yeah, I'm going to pick uh, form here. Um, they well, first I should explain what what all these yeah, are. I think let's, let's, let's step list. back and, and then we'll explain why we why we chose that. So Nant Energy is a is a newcomer to the scene, although it's actually composed of uh, companies that have been around for a bit. Uh, so this is uh, the creation of Patrick Sunshong, who's a, a billionaire doctor. Uh, he's he's spent a career trying to cure cancer and made a lot of money on a on a drug that he developed for that. And now he's he's buying energy storage companies. So um, he acquired Fluidic, which uh, was working for many years doing zinc air batteries, uh, primarily kind of off-grid remote installations. Um, and uh, really interesting alternative to lithium-ion technology. Um, and then just uh, in the past month, he also added Sharp's uh, smart storage business unit. So that was a commercial. Um, they develop you know, lithium-ion, usually paired with solar for businesses to save them money. Um, and they had been part of, of Sharp, which is 
you know, massive company and, and largely, you know, their, their bread and butter is, you know, TVs and consumer electronics and that sort of thing. So um, now they, these two companies are joined together under the Nant Energy umbrella to bring clean and dispatchable power to the world. Um, Form is uh, this, you, you might call it a super group of, of energy storage. Um, you, you have uh, Matteo Hermil, the, the former head of uh, battery, you know, programs at Tesla sort of built up the, the Powerwall business and all that, uh, joining with Yetman Chang, who's an MIT professor, um, who designed a lot of really Im important uh, battery IP over there um, and had several uh, startups of his own in, in the past. And um, they've got a, a team of, of other experts who are tackling the super long duration. Um, so looking at, you know, weeks of, of storage, which lithium ion is just not going to do uh, cost effectively. And, you know, if we get to a place where we have to decarbonize say California's grid, and uh, you have large seasonal swings between summer production and winter production, um, you need something that can hold that power for a long time. Uh, so they're, they're looking at uh, two sort of techniques. They're you know, not sharing exactly what the, the details are, but um, probably some flow battery and some other styles of, of storage that can uh, be cost effective at super long uh, timescales. So then Energy Vault uh, is also a, a new uh, company unveiled in the past month at uh, Energy Storage North America. They're using gravity to store electricity. Um, so they have developed a high-tech six-armed crane, uh, which lifts giant concrete blocks that are many tons uh, heavy, and uh, you, you take you know, excess renewable energy, lift it up into the air and stack them into this Tower of Babel around the crane and drop it down when you need the power back. We invited them for the expo hall, but they wouldn't fit. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting idea. Um, there, people have tried in the past to, to use gravity. I mean, we, we know gravity works, at least. Uh, not, not so much technology risk on that. Um, but somehow, the, the, you know, no one's really knocked it out of the park except for uh, pumped hydro storage, which is the... the you know, vast majority of, of grid storage uh, today. Um, and then lastly, so GE Energy Storage. A new uh, entrant. Yeah, well, so uh, GE's actually, they've been involved with energy storage for a little while. This is kind of the third major, um, you know, formation of, uh, of energy storage as a business unit with them. Uh, they tried a manufacturing play, and then there was GE Current, which was kind of CNI selling, you know, energy services to, to businesses. But now they have a, a newly formed unit. It's in the GE Power Division. Um, they have a, a battery called Reservoir that's a, a package thing, um, you know, in a box that they can ship out. And uh, so it's, you know, at the same time that the, the Power Division is really hurting because the, the gas turbine business is not what it used to be. The market's just not there for that. Um, they, they're now, you know, concentrating resources and building up this new unit for, for energy storage. So you have a bit of the new and the old uh, side by side there. So what are the form energy folks trying to tackle in long duration storage? And what's the, what's the challenge they think that they can solve? And actually, I like this pick because what I do appreciate about their team over there is that they're all aware of the enormity of the problem and they have enough experience with failed technologies and to see how difficult this business is to be very calculated about how they approach the market. So they're still kind of in a learning process. They have a 
crazy amount of expertise, but better than most companies in this space. They're very measured in the way they talk about the challenge. Oh, yeah. They, they're they uh, unique among, I mean, usually when I talk to storage companies, there's there's a lot of excitement and they want to tell me about you know how, how their technology is so amazing, but uh, the form folks were very clear about all the ways it could fail as, as an effort. Um, there's just probably too many to, to count. Uh, so it's a very hard problem. They, they're looking very long term, like take the next five years to, to run all the tests and prove out uh, what they're building. Um, but the, the, the core challenge is finding materials that can uh, hold energy at, at the sufficient density um, for you know weeks at a time without being absurdly expensive um so there's some um they they've essentially run tests on all the possible energy storing materials that they think they could use for this and and determined too that uh at least they they haven't been able to prove these won't work uh and now they're now they're going about building it up and then long term the vision is to have uh what they call dispatchable renewable plants so um you pair a giant battery with your renewable source and then um, it just functions like a like a old school power plant in a way you know you can you can deliver that clean power whenever you need it because uh, you're able to store it so long so that you know there will be new new business models coming out if uh, that technology works I'm intrigued by energy vault because I feel like there's a story that's played out before in the solar industry you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, everyone was talking about CSP. And then PV came along and just destroyed the economics of CSP. Now, I think a lot of developers might argue with that because there are certain markets where CS, um, concentrated solar power with molten salt storage is actually like a fairly attractive offering. But in most markets, PV has just destroyed the economics. Now, gravity works, pumped storage has worked, but there's a reason why we're not building a bunch of pumped hydro. Uh, there are limited sites. It's you know pretty expensive. Uh, there's definitely uh, like a lot of permitting risk and so forth. Where with lithium-ion storage or other equivalent technologies, you can you know modularly deploy very quickly, and you don't have the same kind of um, interconnection or permitting problems. So why would a company like Energy Vault think that it can compete in a market where lithium-ion is just blowing everybody out of the water? Well, I, I will say they've put a lot of thought into all the reasons that uh, other long-duration storage companies have failed over the years. Um, so uh, they 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 know what they're getting into, at least. Um, I think. Are, are they as measured when they talk about it? They they seem a little bit more bold in their proclamations. They're they're, they're pretty bold. Yeah, they're they're bold in the proclamations. I, I will say they uh, they don't need. Uh, a manufacturing um, buildup because uh, to create the plant you basically set up a crane in the field uh, so that's that's good you know they're they're not going to sink a lot of money into into building out a factory line and then find some problem um, I think the permitting risk is something that that has to be considered there um, we've seen other companies try to use gravity uh, in the form of running a, a, a train up a, up an incline that's loaded with weights and then letting it roll back down. But uh, even something that seems as simple as that has taken several years to just get permits uh, to, to build. Um, there, there was an earlier attempt to build kind of a ski lift loaded with rocks that would go up a hill and um, that never scaled. So it, it, there is this element of, you know, if, if gravity is so good at, at storing things, how come... How come someone hasn't cracked that code yet? Um, but you know, if if they can get permits to have an automated crane zinging, you know, multi-ton 
stone blocks uh, up and down in a in a field somewhere. You know, it, it could it could be an interesting uh, approach. Yeah, if anything, they can turn it into one of those like pumpkin chuckers if it doesn't work out. <laughs> um, okay, the nominees for the best financial contribution to energy storage in 2018 are electric utilities, automakers, eccentric billionaires, and oil and gas majors. Okay, let's go through each. Uh, electric utilities have certainly had a lot of action in this space for the last couple of years. Why was 2018 an important year for for utilities? Yeah, well, they've uh, you know they've they've been steadily seeding new investments into the space. Um, I think uh, last year was kind of dominated by these European big utilities and energy companies buying up a lot of American... Uh, so we're talking about equity investments right now, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, buying up a lot of American companies. And we there wasn't the same kind of uh, flow this year, I think, but still, you know, very strong player in the space. Now they're just trying to figure out what the hell to do with these companies. That's an important thing. The follow through on the acquisition is, is huge. And that's still yet to be determined, which is why I'm a holdout on the electric utility side. I mean, there's a lot of integration challenge that needs to be overcome uh, with a lot of these, you know, multinational utilities that have made all these storage investments. Indeed. Um, Automakers, you're starting to see more uh, participation around the electric vehicles, charging infrastructure, that kind of thing. Eccentric billionaires. So we already mentioned um, the the billionaire buying into the storage. uh, Patrick Sunshang has this vision for... um, Saving the world on many fronts, I think, you know, not just curing cancer, but uh, providing clean energy to everybody who, who needs it. Um, uh, Bill Gates and the, the Breakthrough uh, Energy Coalition, they've been doing a lot of uh, investing. Um, and then oil and gas majors, you know, they, they've got uh, billions in capital sitting around and uh, they know energy. And uh, oil and gas majors are actually my pick for, for the, the best financial contribution this year. Oh, wow. Okay. So argue that one a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I think uh, for a long time, they, they haven't really, uh, I think, taken this sector seriously. Um, but really, Shell and uh, BP this year stood out to me as uh, just consistently sinking millions of dollars into a, a diverse array of of energy storage startups, uh, and it it just felt like it was their year. I think that um, obviously there's there's other uh, VCs and and um, institutional investors out there, but um, these companies are are starting to try to figure out what their their future business model will look like, and um, they have like I said, billions of dollars to play with. Uh, They're getting into everything from solar development to uh, uh, electric car charging infrastructure to battery um, technologies, uh, really looking all throughout the the supply chain of this future clean tech uh, distributed energy economy. So why oil and gas majors over automakers, which have, you know, taken some pretty important strides this year in... um, boosting electric vehicle production, planning new electric vehicles, and then, you know, partnering with or making investments in, in battery makers. So why oil and gas over automakers? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I, I, automakers are definitely a huge, a huge part of this. I, I think with the oil and gas, major, you know, the automakers are 
their their thing is cars, and the the oil and gas majors, their thing is is energy in its various forms. And uh, there's been a lot of talk this year with the IPCC report and these very dire predictions about climate change. Of how how does the world reach the level of investment that is needed to avoid catastrophic climate change? Um, and it, it seems like a, a viable scenario there is that the, if, if the oil and gas majors can be convinced that um, this, is, this is where they need to go to, to create uh, long-term businesses as, as the world changes and the way we uh, use energy changes, um, they have the capital to deploy at a scale that we, we don't see really anywhere else. So there's a downstream service play that I think we're just beginning to think through on the oil and gas side. Definitely see more interest in EV charging infrastructure and figuring out like what is the service that an oil and gas company can provide in electrification of, of automobiles and what's the storage play in, in that and what are the revenue streams and that's that's still very unclear but there are there's certainly money marching into that space and um, there's obviously like a thought that they can own that part of the you know the the service side of vehicle electrification. Yeah, I mean, the sense I've gotten from Shell is, you know, let's take a few billion dollars and play around for a few years and see what sticks, uh, which is not something that uh, clean tech VCs are, are uh, really in a, in a position to do these days. But um, they, they, they've got the money. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we move on? Sure. Okay. Nominees for best storage project in a market leading role. Yeah. So we've got Moss Landing, which is a, a California plant uh, called for uh, to avoid paying gas plants to stay open for, for grid reliability. Uh, then the NV Energy procurement, which included uh, some, some very competitive solar plus storage bids. Um, Veridity's return to the PGM frequency market. Uh, I, I wrote about earlier this year after rule changes scared almost all developers out of there. They, they f f going back in. Um, then uh, Vistra is up in two project in Texas. Texas is a notoriously hard market to crack as a energy storage developer. So this, uh, this project was uh, attempting to do that. And then uh, Excel's all source solicitation, which uh, has the famous $36 per megawatt hour solar plus storage bid. And who took the prize this year? I'm going to give it to Moss Landing. Mm. Argue your case, sir. Okay, so Moss Landing, uh, it, it's definitely in this theme we've been covering for a while of uh, storage stepping up uh, to contest the, the role that gas has played in the grid. Um, we had uh, several gas plants in, in the Bay Area, California, um, asking for a special out-of-market payment to stay open and keep providing reliability to the grid. California regulators said no. Uh, we don't want to, you know, let you get that money from ratepayers, and they asked PG&E, the utility here, to go and, and solicit some batteries instead. So they came back with uh, Moss Landing. This will be uh, actually two, two. It's it's four projects, but two of them would set new records for biggest storage on the planet. Um, there's a, a 182.5 megawatt. Uh, plant that uh, would be supplied by Tesla batteries in a utility-owned substation. And then there's a 300 megawatt one. Um, these are all four-hour duration. And uh, the, the 300 megawatts would go into an old uh, gas turbine hall, actually, at a, at a, at a plant owned by Dynagy that's on the, on the coast south of Santa Cruz. So there's, uh, there's some actual poetry in, in this uh, project if you have batteries literally replacing 
where where gas used to be burned and and providing uh, uh, capacity and and uh, keeping the the grid reliability in in a healthy place. Um, I should say this was not without its uh, discontents. Um, there was some very interesting uh, arguments for for the regulators. It got approved, but um, the ratepayer advocate. Uh, contested it as a, an unnecessary expense. Um, you had uh, the Calpine, which is the, the gas generator whose uh, plants kind of kicked off this whole saga. Uh, they, they were trying to argue against it, as were the uh, community choice aggregators of, of California, which are the, the localized electricity providers. Um, so we're, we're, I think this is something we need to look out for in the future, is if, if you know, the new mega projects that utilities want to build and uh, earn a return on happen to be storage, they're going to get scrutinized the way that uh, gas plants or other large uh, procurements did in the past. And then you have to think through, you know, to what extent do we weigh the uh, zero emissions or the, the broader decarbonization goals against costs uh, that ratepayers will have to bear. And, uh, you know, I, I think that conversation's in, in the early stages. I don't think we've really uh, grappled fully with that yet. Yeah, so in, in Ravi Mangani's intro presentation, he talked about all the potential gas plants that are under threat due to storage, uh, which is a significant number. I can't remember the exact number, but this is uh, indicative of that trend. Yes, uh, although I should, I should caveat this. Um, it's not clear that any gas plants will actually shut down mm -hmm. yet based on this project. Uh, and that was another uh, reason that some people argued against it. Um, there's, I guess, a difference between uh, a gas generator saying they need extra payments to keep the plant open and then actually uh, shutting it down when a different resource gets uh, gets procured there. Um, and there there are a lot of questions still about how how this will operate because it is, um, you know, it's it's serving local reliability. It's so it, it will likely deliver power during peak hours when they're needed, but uh, it's not got more than four hours at, at the full capacity. So um, how it operates, uh, will it look like a peaker? Will it look like a, a combined cycle plant kind of going throughout the day? A uh, lot, of, lot of questions there. And, and I think this will certainly become a model that uh, other massive storage projects will, will look to. Let's unpack the uh, Nevada NV Energy procurement and the Excel procurement in uh, Colorado and why those made the list. Yeah, so these were, were both just uh, notable cases of utilities uh, in states that have not um, historically had a huge uh, involvement with energy storage, um, holding these, these open solicitations where people came in with bids and kind of blew everyone's uh, expectations out of the water. Um, you know, and Excel uh, is moving forward with a plan to close the Comanche coal plants, and they're, they're planning to uh, buy a whole bunch of renewable energy and a whole bunch of storage. And uh, the, their solicitation got going before this, but everyone was just so surprised at how cheap the uh, the pairing of solar and storage could be, um, you know, a few years into the future. But um, the the premium you have to pay now to add a battery and make your solar plant dispatchable is just a lot smaller than I think a lot of people expected. Mm. And Envy Energy, I mean, that's another state where not uh, really on our, our radar usually for storage deployment, but uh, several of those those bids uh, for very, very cheap solar uh, came back with, with batteries attached. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, 
those, that becomes the norm in these desert states of the West um, that, that you can make batteries work there earlier than, than in other regions. We now take this time to remember the fallen, the people who have given contributions to the energy storage industry, but who are no longer with us. So who are the fallen uh, energy storage companies that uh, we're going to remember at this time? So uh, mercifully, there were not too many this year, um, but we do have a, a handful, and I think they uh, are unified in trying to, trying to buck the trend, trying to do um, something different from the conventional plays. Um, so one of them, uh, this was technically, uh, I reported it in uh, late December of last year, but it, it has been since the last Energy Storage Summit, so I'll go with it, but LightSail Energy. Uh, they were based uh, here in Berkeley trying to do a um, compressed air storage that didn't need a giant underground cavern. Uh, so they, they did succeed in making some fancy uh, compressed air tanks, um, but they never, got, they never got out to uh, you know, commercial deployment and um, sort of ran out of money along the way. Um, then uh, elsewhere this year, we had uh, Vision uh, Energy. It was a, a you know, flow, uh, flow battery company. They'd been a, a strong contender in the, trying to make flow batteries a reality as a, as a long-lasting, long-duration alternative to lithium-ion, but they um, lost some investment, had to lay off almost everybody. Um, also, JLM Energy uh, ran out of... Uh, funding. They were doing um, some, some innovative storage products, uh, kind of micro storage. Uh, almost Hilarious story. We, we actually, the, the day that the news broke of JLM's collapse, we had published a piece of a product review of one of their products. That's true, <laughs> and then, like, yeah. And then, like, within minutes, we, re that we, we had heard news of that, that they had gone bankrupt. So. Things move fast <laughs> in this energy storage yeah, market. Exactly. You could uh, review a product one day, write the bankruptcy story the next day, or I don't know if it's uh, technically bankruptcy, but, you know, out of money for sure. Um, so, right, yeah, right. They, they were trying to, to, you know, make miniaturized batteries that you could stick under the... Uh, solar panel and uh, in, the, in the same way that um, microinverters can speed up deployment times and they, they kind of um, have these benefits for the, the labor and installation. They're trying to do that with storage. So, you know, interesting idea. Um, uh, certainly some, some observers were concerned about putting batteries out on the roof or out in the heat, um, but they, they said they, they had a safe uh, chemistry and design and all that, but um, yeah, I guess we w we won't get to see what kind of role that that plays in the long term. Um, and then uh, lastly, there was uh, Axion, which was uh, trying to update lead acid batteries with um, carbon electrodes, and and they also ran out of money after many years of uh, of trying that. All right, well, so we've reached the end of our categories, but we've had some people who are sending in some questions and asking us. So I want to take a couple of categories from uh, the people out here in the audience. And if you have any more or any thoughts on the choices within the categories we outlined, throw them up here. Maybe we'll address them. But this is a good one. The most overhyped story of 2018. Does anything come to mind? Ooh, Ooh okay. Which one to, to go with? I still think solar plus residential solar plus storage is pretty overhyped. I mean, uh, you know, we write a lot about it, and it, it sort of creates its own environment and makes it feel like it's a lot bigger than it is uh, because we're following that space very closely. But I would argue that uh, when you look across 
the number of stories and types of stories that we're running and that other people are running compared to the overall market impact, like it's definitely up there in terms of somewhat hyped stories. It, it's definitely still hyped, and, and we have to be clear that in the vast majority of places in the US, there's, there's really no economic reason to install batteries. Um, but it's been this funny thing where we keep, you know, from the analysis of it, oh, this doesn't really make sense in terms of return on investment. But uh, that's actually not how consumers buy things, it turns out. So um, I think that's, I think you're right. Uh, there, there's still a lot more chatter there relative to the actual impact in, in the market. I'm going to say most overhyped uh, for now is uh, virtual power plant. Um, mm. which is, uh, you know, a term used for um, stringing up a lot of different assets that are out in the field behind the meter together to, to work, uh, you know, at, at large scale. And I, I should say there, there are real, you know, real virtual power plants that are, that are working in markets today and uh, STEM or uh, eMotorworks e has this with uh, electric vehicle chargers. They've got 10,000 of those. Um, you know, that, that can alter their charging schedules based on demand response calls. Um, but uh, the, the, the more robust vision of like homes that have solar and batteries and all that, it's a, it's a very long way away. And there's, there's uh, a lot of questions that have to be resolved of, you know, what happens to the customer's property, you know, if the, this, they have this battery and some other companies using it to uh, serve uh, a grid contract and how does the the money flow between them work. And um, so, yeah, you hear a lot of talk about it, but I, th I think that, you know, there's a lot of questions that need to be figured out. And so we're probably not going to see real revenue driven from that for, for a while still. Okay. So um, the most surprising unexpected development, what kept you on your toes this year? I think the new ideas are, are always surprising. I mean, seeing, like seeing technological ideas or yeah. The yeah. That I think the new, new technologies, it's it, cause it's so much, I mean, we, we, we've talked a lot about alternatives to lithium ion, but really lithium ion is, is the show here. Um, and, uh, so that, that tension that even if it's dominating close to a hundred percent of, of deployments, there are still entrepreneurs out there who are, who are coming to the table with totally different zany ideas. Um, I, I think that's always always surprising. You know, automated cranes that move super fast with mega megalith blocks of, of concrete. Very surprising. Um, the fact that uh, someone with a lot of money would want to buy a, a long duration storage company. Also very surprising. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we saw from the the, the you know. Clean tech casualties. Not all these ideas work, but but people are still coming to the table with with new things. Julian Spector, folks, he is uh, our senior storage reporter. He's been keeping his eyes on this, and uh, I think we're going to have plenty to talk about next year as the awards unfold. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange. You just witnessed a live recording of our podcast that you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your shows. Thanks for being with us. Stay tuned for a lot more over the course of the day.